This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport fan network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top tier lineup of food right to your door, including my favourite, the quarter pounder with cheese. Mm. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to episode 177 of the Stacey West podcast. I am Gary and today we have a super special guest. There's no Jake Todge today because we've got bored of him. Uh, there's no Ben today because he's gone part-time. Uh, so today I've invited in the only man I know who's tried to play a gegen press against Jerusalem reserves and who during his wedding vows will doubtless make his wife to swear thou shall always play three at the back. Uh, welcome <laughs> Rugby FC manager Chris Lamming. Thank you very much for having me, Gary. No worries. I've no never worries. had an introduction like that before. <laughs> <laughs> I, told, um, I told Ben and Jake in the chat that you were coming on. And uh, Ben, the first thing he said was, so it's going to be a stats episode. Uh, so just a little bit about uh, about you for people who don't know you. Uh, so we're from a football perspective. Yeah, um, Lincoln fan for the majority of my life. Um, was fortunate enough to be part of the academy as a kid. And then started going again kind of regularly in the Chris Moises era. And I've been kind of going every game ever since. Uh, yeah, and I still try and play a little bit of football on a Sunday morning for rugby officially player manager but it's more manager than than player these days and you do love a stat i do love a stat which is going to be brilliant <laughs> so i can i can already feel andy pearson uh, and jack mulhall going oh no just turn off now yeah because there want. will definitely be some <laughs> xg talk um so look we're obviously going to come on to talk about deadline day we're going to talk about transfers that's going to be the the um sort of overriding theme of, of today but as is customary, we'll start with the uh, with the games that have happened this week uh, with Fleetwood. So two two draw with Fleetwood on Saturday. Um, we'll get straight into the XG. I mean, we you know we should have lost that game two one. I think we only had six shots four on target throughout the game. Uh, but the first 10-15 minutes, thought we were going to run away with it. Absolutely, yeah. I think we we started the game really really well. Obviously, early goals when you actually score, the chances that you that you create always helps in terms of looking back and thinking how dominant you were. Um, but I really thought we were we were dominant in that at that start. We pressed well. Um, we forced Fleetwood into mistakes, and 
couple of really, really good goals. Well worked. Sean Rowan involved in both, which I think was a really big call for him to start. Great ball in as well for for the second. I, I thought 10, 15, 20 minutes in. Looked like we was going to steamroll him, didn't we? We did, yeah. I mean, I'm pleased to put on Sean Rowan now. I was delighted he got his start. Um, obviously, cast aside, really. And we say by Michael Appleton, but it was by that era. You know, there's a whole coaching team and everything mm-hmm. behind it. So, um, one of the players I think that we're kind of focusing on as a club, the others being the likes of Max Sanders, Lass Sorensen, who, who were you know, either signings that we were hoping we were going to develop and sell on, probably in a transfer window, they will be the subject of angry tweets in, in six months or 12 months or something like that. So yeah. I also um, want to pick up, I thought Tashan had a really a good opening 20 minutes as well. He was involved, I think, in both the goals, assist for one and helped to yeah. uh, play play uh, Sean in for the other. Yeah, he was really energetic. I think we haven't seen the best of Tashan so far. Um, he's got undoubted quality after... Of course, you don't play for England if you're if you're not a very good footballer, do you? Um, but I don't think we'd seen the best of him yet. And I think what we saw, certainly for the first the first half, maybe a whole first half an hour on Saturday, was what he's all about. He was really energetic. Uh, he was good on the ball. He got himself forward and, and kind of very much a box to box midfielder. So could be positive for the future. Yeah, I think one of the problems with Tashan as well is. He barely played for Stoke last year. Mm-hmm. He's never played in League One before. So what we're essentially getting here is a guy that comes to the end of his pathway, a la Teo Eden, for instance. Um, but it's like as if Teo Eden had missed a whole season, which he hadn't, you know, before he came to us, he'd been with Ipswich. So you've got a player who, one's got to get himself match fit. The two has got to get himself used to League One football, which is something that he's he, he's not up to scratch with. And Mark Kennedy keeps saying we're a work in progress. I think for the first 20 minutes of that game, um, and particularly the likes of Tasha, the likes of Sean Rowan, you see where the progress is going to take us. Uh, but then it all just faded. Yeah, there's a couple of things i kind of written down it. Firstly, was, was oh, Fleetwood's sorry, style. Just, sorry, you've done what, sorry? I've written some oh, things okay. down on some notes here. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit odd, really. But yeah, go on. <laughs> no, 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 you're used to it. I'm here, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, a couple of things I wrote down. Firstly, in terms of on, on, on Fleetwood themselves, they reminded me very much of Gillingham from last season. Um, in terms of their, Not just in terms of their style, and I, I don't want to come across as kind of you know putting down a direct style because you know we were very successful under that in times gone by. Um what was interesting for me was to to wonder whether that's how they always play or whether they decided to go a lot longer after recognising that we were a good pressing team and thought we'll just play over the press and we didn't really deal with that. I can't remember a particular moment in the game where I thought they've changed their system now to go longer, um, which leads me to believe that's probably how they always play. But we stopped doing the things that we did well. The things that got us two goals ahead that had made us look really positive, we we stopped doing it. We kind of sat back a little bit. We stopped pressing quite so aggressively and we invited them back into the game a little bit. I, I wouldn't say they ever really dominated. It was mainly half chances and set pieces, but if you create enough half chances and set pieces, you're going to score some goals. Yeah, it was really, I think, of our own doing as well, wasn't it? Yeah, we were tuning up, we were cruising. There's, there's some debate over their goal. I've watched it back. Sometimes I watch it back, it's offside. Sometimes I watch it back. It, it's probably just onside as he mm. plays it. And in real time, it, it didn't look like it. Um, if they don't score that goal, if they don't get that goal, I don't think they win it. I think if it goes in at 2-0, we come out different. But I think that it's just, it's almost like psychological, isn't it? You go in at 2-1, you're Lincoln City, you know, we've we've just drawn with Barrow after after giving up the lead. We've mm-hmm. been thumped by Peterborough. We've lost lead against Forest Green. And I just wondered, is that is that the lack of experience showing through? Or do you think it was just a one-off that afternoon? I don't know. I, I know we probably disagreed a little bit on this when we were chatting on Saturday because 
there was at times last season, later in games, where I just had that sense of foreboding. You knew what was coming. You knew that we were going to concede a few chances towards the end of the game and we were likely to concede a goal and lose the game, draw a game. It, it felt almost inevitable at times. And even though that Fleetwood were creating chances, I had confidence in us seeing it out. Maybe because of how we played away at, at Pompey, for example, that maybe gives us that little bit of confidence in that and, and Oxford as well. Um, I was, I'll be honest, I was more gutted when they scored today, not today, on Saturday, sorry, um, but I'm still gutted about it today, um, than I was when MK Dons scored their final goal last season, even though we lost the game, because I felt like we could see that one come in and it had been a bit of a pattern. Yeah. And I think as much as we did concede on Saturday, I don't feel this team is the same Lincoln City team, doesn't have the same characteristics that last season's team did. So hopefully it was just one of those things. It's not a, a pattern emerging, I don't feel, or hope, certainly hope it isn't. Because yeah, we, we spoke at half-time and uh, I, I kind of said, we're going to draw this. And mm. you said, no, we'll come out, we'll be in complete control, it'll be fine. And I, I'm like, well, well, if yeah, Chris, if Chris I was absolutely it. wrong about the complete <laughs> control. Um, I did feel that we'd be in more control that we, than, than we were. I didn't. I didn't feel that we concede, even with the nine minutes added on. I felt we'd we'd just see it out, and unfortunately, we didn't. I think the real turning point for me was um, I haven't got it in front of me, but it was about sixty-eight minutes, uh, maybe a little bit earlier, when Sean Rowan went off. Mm -hmm. um, because as, so, as soon as Sean went off, because you, you you picked up that they'd been doubling up on Sean anyway, so they were hitting a big diagonal, and there was two on Sean. They were looking to flick it on or bully mm -hmm. him off and, and, and get off down the right hand side, which he dealt with relatively well for an 18, 19 year old kid. He did. Jamieson, who is a good left back, just didn't have that height, and he was owned by um, Sean Rooney, wasn't it? Was yeah, Wrexham. Yeah, the right back, ago, yeah. and he was playing very aggressive in his position as well, yeah. all game, and, and and probably lucky to stay on the field. Was he one, yeah. of, the, one of them that was lucky to stay on the field? But anyway, so. um, yeah, and he, yeah, they they then bossed that that side of the pitch. Yeah, one well, one other thing that that really kind of didn't help when Sean went off is. Um, one change that we've made late in games two or three times this season to see games out has been going later in the game to a back three with yeah. Sean Rowan as a, as, a, as a left of a three with then Robson as a left wing back. Obviously, with Rowan going off and without a replacement on the bench, we weren't able to make that kind of change and become more more solid at was the back. Adam Jackson not on the bench? I he don't was. know if he was or not. Uh, that could have been a change. I, I can't remember now, to be honest. Because Vernon came on, Vernon went on. A... Yeah, we, we still changed to the back three. Yeah, yeah. We still Vernon came on at right wing back, but we didn't have that settled back three yeah, that, that yeah. Rowan would normally be quite suited to that left side. Um, then you're playing a right footer, three right footers at centre back. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I don't think that was the, the main reason we drew the game. I do feel if that game was played 100 times, we'd win it more often than not, despite the XG. Yeah, um, possibly. Possibly. I think the XG came late on, and I think it was one was or it. two chances really, that. They kind of scuffed and I, no, I, I I just think that we shrunk. I think as the game went on, it became less likely that we would hold on. And when um, the referee found enough injury time for Liverpool to at least score twice in <laughs> somehow, um, yeah, I bought, I buy that. I get that. I understand why there was so much injury time. Uh, but as soon as that went up, it's like we're going to draw this. And even at that point, I didn't feel safe. And that's weird because like you, having watched the P, uh, the, the the Pompey game. Um, back and kind of, you know, we looked so solid and we defended well and Oxford in the second half, so stoic, we defended well. But the fact is I've got the numbers now in front of us and, it, you know, if we look down our games, Fleetwood, better XG, Barrow, better XG, Peterborough, obviously better mm. XG, Oxford had better XG. So you go back to Forest Green for a game that we, you know, the stats say we should have won and we still drew that game as well. Still got a real big question mark over our 
our kind of mentality. And I think that coming away from the Fleetwood game left me feeling really negative. And had we gone 2-0 down and come back and drawn 2-2, I probably would have come away going, that's character. Yeah, from a result perspective, it's it's one of those, you go, oh, we've got a point, we'll move on. Like yeah. You'd like to have won that game. They're the type of clubs that you want to be beating. But as a result, it's fine. Yeah. Early, early season, unbeaten still. I think it was a, the manner of it. I think also in the crowd, I think, like you said, if you watched it back, it does look, potentially looks onside their first goal. But in the crowd, it looked a light year off. Yeah. Um, and I think we felt really hard done by, and there's a lot of um, anger towards the referee and the assistants. <laughs> and, and, and of, of course, I wasn't going to say did, it. He didn't have, I'm not going to kind of go into too much depth about the ref. Probably the less said, the better. But um, I think that performance from the referee did give a scapegoat somewhat, and it gave us a reason to blame someone other than our own players. I think if you take away the offside, though. They should definitely gone down to ten men. I mean, their keepers come out and raised his hands to Tom Hopper. Yeah, yeah. Or, like if we're being really strict, I'll give you nine. Like the goalkeeper, that's, that's that's an absolute red card. The goalkeeper, yeah, yeah. it just is. He hasn't hit him, but it's a red card in modern football. And also the Hopper chance, which he tried to square it to Kendall, which yeah, he shouldn't. Yeah. He should have just shot. Of course, we could have scored from that. But the referee allowed play on from a, a foul that led to Hopper getting the chance, and that's fine. Good refereeing, as opposed to allow the game to continue. But the defender was the last man, and he was already on the other card. Yeah, you know, I'm not a referee. Maybe I'm not 100% sure of the rules, but for me, I'd be shouting and screaming on a Sunday morning if if that's not a second yellow. Shout and scream on a Sunday morning, anyway. Correct. Um, yeah, and, and there was even a moment in the first half where I think it was Rooney, but it might not have been, actually threw the ball in frustration at the midriff for one of our players. Uh, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, and again, I don't know. Maybe you show it, you try and show a little bit of savvy, and it kind of almost comes on to the Barnsley game because. Um, we'll, we'll segue nicely. Oh, uh, very, I, very I, professionally have, done. Yeah, we put. I, I always point out. I do it professionally, and then I, I want people to notice. So okay, <laughs> segue there. Um, James Norwood's red card, which obviously was was a talking point, but he's elbowed Jay Ben, and I noticed that there wasn't a mass surrounding of the referee. Now, mm. the silly thing is that for years and years, you saw people surrounding the referee, and you kind of go, "Oh, we don't want to see that. Get on with the game." Blah blah blah. But actually, if you don't do it, I mean, okay, Norwoods was was obvious and it was blatant. Mm. But if you don't do it against Fleetwood, you know, if we'd on mask gone around the referee and was, you know, look what he's doing, look what he's done, would he have got the card out? I think Scott Brown influenced some of the decisions from Absolutely, the sidelines. Yeah. So you don't want to stereotype too much, but Fleetwood very much were a team in the manager's image, weren't they? Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Can you imagine trying to watch the game between Fleetwood and and Bristol Rovers? Oh my god. <laughs> I mean, yeah, Barton... kind of cares left on pitch. <laughs> the thing is, Barton's been on about it again today, going off topic a bit, but he's moaning about Shrewsbury. He said, what did he say today? Something like, um, if people keep paying to watch teams like Shrewsbury, um, su- support's going to dwindle. It's an entertainment business, and I wouldn't pay that money to go... Leave it out, Joey. You played for Burnley in the Premier League with the biggest <laughs> anti-football team there are. Um, so we come on to the Mickey Mouse Cup, obviously away at Barnsley. I mean, it's, it was a big win, and I think, you know, when you look at what we've done so far this season, you know, we've won three games um, mm-hmm. in league and cup, but obviously there's Doncaster and Barnsley that we've beaten convincingly and it, where it really doesn't matter. Um, can we, can we draw that much really from the Barnsley game? Do you think? I think you can take it as momentum. You can say it's a good result. Um, got a good lead, saw it out professionally. You can't, you can't judge the, the opposition for a league game, you can't really judge our team in terms of a league game, but in terms of mood in the squad, in terms of positivity, and again, it's another game that we've not lost. Mm-hmm. So we've played nine games this season, we've only lost one of them. Obviously, the majority of the wins, as you said, have come in the in the cup, but a win's a win. Um, and winning's a habit. 
spoken so, to so, so, so I've been told that I wouldn't know too much from rugby <laughs> yeah. the last few years nobody, <laughs> look at the, nobody look at last year's league tables <laughs> I think um, like you say I, I, I posed the question I obviously also have an answer to it because as Fee knows I have an answer to everything um, and it, it may it makes you feel good the fact is on the day before the game uh, during before the game I was kind of like I don't really care about it. Do you know what I mean? Mickey Mouse Cup, we go to Barnsley. It doesn't matter whether we win, lose or draw, blah, blah, blah. You win 3-0 and I'm there going 10,000 in the bank. Yeah. Teddy Bishop's got his goals. What a play from Jay Ben. And and it does make you feel good. And the truth is now with that win, we've got Doncaster at our place. You would expect us to take something from that, having already beaten a relatively strong Doncaster team in the Cup. You're through to the next round. There's 20, 30, 40 grand. People moan about us not going in for a striker or not going in for this or that. This is the sort of money. That's this it. This is the cup where you earn your money, and and you know we're going to Bristol City and we've got through got through three rounds of the League Cup. It's worth diddly squat. It's worth. That's nothing. a good story. Again, yeah, yeah. it's a good confidence booster. Again, the fact that we've got through to the third round is a good confidence booster for the squad, even if we go and, and, and lose at Bristol. But yeah, you don't earn any money from it. You earn you earn the money from the from the Mickey Mouse Cup. And if you're the Barnsley reserve eleven and you're trying to impress Mickey Duff, what you don't want to do is turn in a performance like you did against us, which I've done some numbers, and it was the lowest XG we've faced since we beat Southend 4-0 under Danny Cowley. So they were basically the worst team that we've faced since playing a team that now have to go away to Dorking during the season. Um, and I think it's not a reflection on where they're going to be in the league, but I, you, know, you would expect their reserve team, having just come out of the championship, you would yeah. expect their reserve team to put in a You'd expect them to be more of a match for our... It wasn't our first team, but it certainly no, wasn't no. a reserve yeah. squad, was it? It was probably like a mix a mix of maybe our our, our backup players and, and, and a few first teamers, wasn't it? it? Again, that's another benefit of that competition is you get to see people like Jay Ben, who we didn't know a great deal about. I think even the even the, the most kind of passionate Lincoln fan probably didn't know a huge amount about Jay Ben. Uh, when he signed, we've, we've heard good reports from Halifax, but we don't really know. Yeah. Um, so it's good to see him perform well and, and see kind of what he's all about. Yeah. So those kind of more fringe players, players that maybe again this time when he goes time that will be first teamers. Yeah. Um, I'll make a bold prediction now. I think Charles Vernon is um, is one of the best technical players that we've got on our books, um, and I've seen little snippets of him here and there. He came on against Fleetwood late on, didn't he? Mm-hmm. Um, as we were saying at, at wing back, and he got forward and he knocked the ball one way around one of their defenders and, and ran around the other way. And I'm just looking at it thinking, I, I said it on my dog walk earlier, Andrade used to do that. And, you know, I mm. thought Vernon was just as good as Jack Diamond. Jack Diamond stole the headlines. I know, obviously, because he, he came course, in yeah. and everyone's going, oh, he's got a name that's, you know, really everyone remembers it. So they go, Diamond, and he's a diamond, and it's really good for puns. I thought Charles Vernon was excellent. Um, and one thing about Anthony Scully going, and we will come on to that, you know, we've got Vernon who plays predominantly on the left, but can play on the right. Diamond who plays on the left could be on the right. If Scully stayed as well, it could have been a real problem for Charles. Yeah. And I think Charles is a player who's got a big future with us. Yeah, we'll, we'll touch on it, as you mentioned, but um, it's just good succession planning. Um, we haven't we haven't sold Anthony Scully on transfer deadline then, and, then, and then thought, right, who are we going to go and buy to replace him? We had the replacement in the door at the start of the window. Um, and that's just really good. That's just really good planning, in my opinion. Um, one of my one of my friends um, we were talking about this last night. He said he's a bit worried. He thought it was a bit light in the wide areas because we sold Scully. Um, I just completely disagree with him for, for that reason. I said, "How would you feel if we'd sold Scully on transfer deadline morning, and then we'd signed Charles Vernon last night as a and you could, it was a more obvious direct replacement?" He goes, "Oh yeah, if you put it that way, it, it seems a bit yeah. more reasonable." So it's sometimes because it's deadline day and it's a big thing, and it's it's almost like a it's almost like a um, like a TV show in a way, isn't it? Sometimes a bit of a 
what's the word I'm looking for here? Yeah. Farce. That, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, yeah that's that. <laughs> it's yeah, a show. That's it's, a, it's a pantomime. Yeah, it's, it's, it is. It's absolutely. Yeah, it's as much as it's essential. Um, I, I think we've, we've got the majority of our business done early and yeah, that's a positive. That's not to be criticised. I think people now just expect deadline day. You're saving all your, your, your energy up for making a big deadline day signing. Yeah. And it, it amused me because somebody actually said yesterday, and we're going to come on to deadline day in a minute, but somebody actually said yesterday, oh, remember when we signed Harry and Bosley? That only just beat the uh, beat the deadline. It's like, it didn't. You know, we, we signed them with lots of time to spare between the end of the window. I remember it because it was around July the 19th because I was down in Cambridge for... Um, Fee's birthday, I seem to remember. So it's funny how perception gets you. There's yeah, the definitely. perception that we have rubbish deadline days because we lost Morgan Whitaker and Simakanola. And and they're two deadline days out of ten, actually. Mm. You know, there've been so many deadline days where actually we've got who we want. And they people laugh and joke about the year that we got Liangle a second time. That was just Danny being Danny just covering the bases. We brought two players in who, who barely played, I seem to remember. Yeah, I think didn't Angle only play one make one appearance? Yeah, I think that's, that's Northampton at home, I seem to think. Yeah, he came a few minutes at the end. But was it James again, Brown someone, as well? Yeah, that was, uh, he might have been earlier in the window. He might have been, because that was January we got Angle, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. I think James Brown might have been the first half of the season. Anyway, it's the same principle, isn't it? Yeah, it is indeed. So before the window, the, the obviously big, the big news that as soon as I got the message from the media team, I read it and I thought, Oh, no, 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 don't put that out now. Um, Charlie Kendall's joins Sutton on loan, Sutton United. Mm-hmm. I just thought, I know what's going to be said. I, I yeah, fell yeah. into the trap. You know, well, who's going to replace him? We haven't replaced him. We'll come on to that. But, you know, in real terms, it's actually quite a good loan for Charlie. I yeah, I think there's, there's, there's two trains of thought here. There's squad depth for us. And there's the long-term development of Charlie Kendall in his Lincoln City career. Um, best case scenario. He goes and bangs 20 goals in this year for Sutton, comes back to us next season and is our first choice centre forward with a season of league football behind him in a very successful team. Um, worst case scenario with what I think everyone is worrying about is Tom Hopper gets injured. Um, yes, we do have other players that can play up, up there. Um, ben House being the obvious replacement, as much as we've seen more of him in midfield, he was signed as a striker. He played up front for recently, pretty much exclusively. Um, so I think from a, a club's perspective, we are well covered up there. But um, we haven't got a player currently in the mould of Charlie Kendall. But if he didn't go out on loan, realistically, how much football is he going to play for us? He's going to come on at the end um, for the last few minutes. If we go for a t- do a tour up top, he's unlikely to put up there on his own instead of Tom Hopper. He's the club captain. He's going to be the first name on the team sheet in the manager's eyes. So it's only really if Hopper gets injured that Kendall would maybe get some more game time. And we've got House... Um, as a direct replacement, everyone's forgetting about Freddie Draper, who's yeah. still very much part of the squad, apparently. Um, and then we've got other players that can fill in up front. So I think I, I was the same as you. I fell in the same trap and, and kind of thought, well, we must have another striker lined up then if he's going out on loan. Um, a good loan for Charlie, good loan for us in the long term. But the more I think about it, the more I understand us not getting a replacement. And the actual loan isn't a problem. It, yeah, it yeah. never was. It was. It was more okay. Well, are we short now? I think that that was the that was the thought, wasn't it? I think that I think that's my point. Is um, I don't have any problem with Charlie going out because I think in the four three three that we play, Charlie's not going to play the nine the way that we want him to at the moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he banged a lot of goals in for Eastbourne last year, but that was in the National League South. He skipped the National League North. I can understand the player going up two divisions, but three divisions is big. And to put it into context, it would be like a striker playing for a League Two side and then signing for a Premier League side mm-hmm. and being expected to play. 
Um, so yes, he scored against Doncaster. He's got he's got a lot of qualities that are going to make him a very good footballer during his career. His movement's very good. His tireless work and he's a natural. He's finisher. got a lot of those attributes that you don't see very often at our level. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. in a striker, you know, we, we, in our level, you tend to find players are quick or they're strong. You play yeah, into yeah. them, but he seems to have that power, natural goal scorer's yeah. instinct. So you know, to think we haven't got that on the bench is is I understand the worry, but he will score goals at any level. It's a li- little bit of what. Um, Appleton maybe said about Draper, different style of player, mm. of course. He says, you know, that that ability to finish, yeah. you either have it or you don't. You know, it's yeah, very yeah. difficult to to it's very difficult to to kind of train that and, and to learn that. It's the other elements of your game yeah. that, that that dictate what level you play at. And you know, we've got two players on our books then that fit in that kind of mould. The, the fact is, he might go to Sutton, score twenty goals, come back to us, and somebody wants him for a million pound next year. Potentially, and <clears throat> whatever anybody says, we'll go. Oh, we barely ever saw Charlie Candle play. No, but that's I'm not going to say the model because it's a, it's a model that a lot of teams operate on. It's a model that Peterborough have operated on to get from being a, a nondescript League Two side along with us mm-hmm. to a, they're a yo-yo yo-yo side. They're, they're the best side I've seen so far yeah, this season. I think the big difference between them and us, um, like earlier in their development, obviously we're a good few years behind there. But they're as much as you know, we probably don't like them as a rival, and maybe you don't like them as a club and a fan base. As a model, it's quite respectable, yeah. isn't it? And that's kind of what we're kind of modelling ourselves on. Big difference is the players we've sold on, apart from Scully, actually probably been the first forward. Most players we've sold have been defenders, midfielders, mm. um, which make you money, but you get the big bucks from from goal scorers. Yeah. Um, yeah. We've got Ben House. We've got Billy uh, Draper. Um, in terms of players we've signed, we've got Charlie Kendall. I think is the one that that has the potential to go on and score a lot of goals and. And potentially be a big earner for us. You see, I think when you say that, actually, the transfer window, which again we're, we're kind of moving towards, makes a lot more sense because for the last couple of seasons, we've loaned in the headline players. We've yeah. loaned in Morgan Rogers, Brennan Johnson. Um, we've loaned in last season Morgan Whitaker, Liam Cullen. Okay, they didn't particularly do it, but we loaned them in. Darren McCanton, he's very, very vocal on um, social media. He always says, you know, I'm not going to develop somebody else's forward. They will spend the money on the forwards. Now, Peterborough's model was different because they had the investment in the first place. Yeah. Well, so they, they were had spending £600,000 on George Boyd yeah. when they were in League Two and he was in National League. And Aaron, Aaron McLean and Craig McCall-Smith, all three yeah, of them, all three of them at the same, the same time. time yeah. So they could spend that money straight out. And we can't, like, it's easy to say, oh, we should have gone and bought Tishmanga. He was that far away from joining Birmingham City yesterday. Mm-hmm. A goal scorer these days is worth so much money. Look at Jamie Vardy. He was in uh, National League with Fleetwood, £1 million to Leicester. And and to be fair, that's the kind of step up almost that, that Charlie Kendall made. But look at the age of Jamie Vardy. Look how much senior football he had to play first. So yeah. I think from from Charlie from the Charlie Candle point of view, I get the loan. I still think we're light up front, mm-hmm. um, but we are bringing players in and trying to develop them, like Ben House. And and so to go out and buy like a twenty seven year old striker now, who's who's got no resale value at the end of his contract. You know, we all kind of went when McGrandles went. Oh, Conor McGrandles has gone. We haven't got anything for him. We can't have many players like that because if you have ten players like that in your squad and you're loaning a Lewis Fiorini and a Brook Norton Coffey and a Morgan Whitaker, well, you, you're going to have to have a new squad every you, every stuff. season or two yeah, yeah. because players are going to go out of contract. You build, you buy a whole new squad and you start again. Yeah. You can only the only way that we can compete in this level with the bigger boys, and it'll be a few years down the line, is you gradually build up your budget by selling by buying players cheap, selling them on, making a profit, and have a slightly bigger budget for next season. Yeah. Repeat, repeat, repeat over five years. Then we might be able to compete with Peterborough, with Sheffield Wednesday, etc. In terms of wages and get that 
magical step up to the championship. We, that's what we all want, isn't it? That's the dream. We're just hoping, aren't we, that we get a player in who can go for a million pounds yeah. or two million pounds. And it doesn't even guarantee. What about Oxford? Oxford sold Shandon Baptiste and Tariq Foso. I go on about it all the time. Deadline mm -hmm. day, January, transfer window, seven o'clock, whatever. Both went to Brentford. No time to replace them. But it wasn't Armageddon. It wasn't catastrophe. No. And they've steadily reinvested the money. They're not doing particularly well, I think, because their manager's actually very poor manager. I think if they'd got yeah. a better coach or better I, management I, team. I agree with that. I feel Oxford have got all the tools to be a, a playoff contender almost every season yeah. League One, apart from possibly that. Apart from the biggest team. tool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the, yes, uh, absolutely. The, the <laughs> and so that, that moves on from Charlie Kendall. We come on to deadline day. Three main big pieces of business. The first one we'll touch upon with very, very little uh, regret. Chris Maguire is no longer a Lincoln City player. Um, not exactly a distinguished Lincoln career. Yeah. Um, I think it's very much, oh, well, is kind of the reaction to that. Uh, is the undoubted quality on the ball. Troubled bit, troubled, troubled soul. I feel, um, just clearly didn't, just didn't ever redo really it. We all, we all know he turned up for one match that we all stand out, that all, we all stand out in the memory last year against Sunderland. Flattered to deceive, quite a bit frustrated fans, and I think you mentioned it a few times in podcasts and and on on blogs. You can maybe fall out with their fans once, and you can maybe patch that back up. To do it twice, I think is it's a very very long way back. Yeah. So, you know, maybe. The, the scandal that he's currently involved in, which he hasn't been found guilty of at the moment, let's, let's point out. But it almost gave us an excuse, didn't it? Yeah, it did. To get him off the yeah. books. Uh, so, yeah, I don't feel he'll be hugely missed. I don't think he'll be missed at all. And, you know, what? Well, I wouldn't say it to him face-to-face because -face I think he'd knock me out because um, he's small, but he looks, you know, he looks, he's got something in his eyes where you know he's trouble. So, um, Chris, if you're listening, good luck. Uh, <laughs> from there, I'm the uh, I'm the guy with the glasses and the haircut that looks like I was in an 80s pop band, uh, pop punk band, um, Ben Ward. That was me. So, um, and this is Jake Todge next to me. So, uh, yeah, we, we're the ones calling him. That won't, won't miss him. Um, simple as that. When he signed, I thought he was a great signing. I really did. Uh, and I actually found a picture earlier from when he signed that was taken outside the EPC. And he's smiling in it. Uh, and he's the only picture I've ever seen him smiling. So, oh God, yeah, I don't think we saw him smile at any point. He didn't even smile when he scored his hat trick. He no. just shouted at yeah, <laughs> Lee he, Johnson. He just looked smug. So. Yeah, no, I, he won't be missed at all. You know what? You said you were excited when we signed him. I wasn't. You know, going back to that time, what we were crying out for was experience. And I get that. I thought, oh, he's a player that played on the road like Appleton. I don't know. I don't know what it was. It just didn't feel like, you know, the season before we'd had really tricky wingers, really pacey wide players. And he just wasn't at all fit in that mould. So it, it felt a bit of a step away from what we were mm. successful with as well. It almost felt like we were just trying to get an experienced player in for the sake of it. You see, I, I think we were. I agree. I just mm. think that's what we were trying to do. I didn't see him playing as a winger. I thought that he would come in and play. I thought that we were going to play something like a 4-2-3-1 and he would play in the 10 role. Mm. Um, and I kind of, I don't know why I have this thing about that 10 role. We don't play with the 10. Uh, but I see Anthony Scully, oh, he'll play the 10 role. Chris mm. Maguire, that's what he'll do. Danny Mandrew, that's what he'll do. And we don't even play it. It's just like one day we're going to get a manager in who actually wants to play a proper 10. Like when Jack Payne signed, it's like, yeah. oh, he's going to play the 10. And then we kind of I think it'd be really interesting to see how Jack Payne does at Cheltenham this year. Yeah, yeah. I think he's a really, really good footballer. He started the season brilliantly under Danny Cowley. Yeah. He actually started quite well under Appleton. He just didn't score. Yeah, that was a um, problem. And then, and then kind of lost a bit of confidence. It seemed fell out of favour. And as we know, when you fall out of favour under Michael <laughs> Appleton, you don't really get a chance to get back into no. the team again. But 
as League as, Two was clearly too easy for him. As Matty Virtue has found out, Absolutely. which brings us yeah. nicely. There's another segue yeah, for you, um, kids. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, the next one, deadline day, Matty Virtue signs. Um, you know, there's talk of him kind of being the second choice to Alex Gilby. My understanding is that's not the case. Mm-hmm. The Alex Gilby thing was certainly something that was built up, I think, more by Gilby's agent and Gilby's team than anything. I think Matty Virtue... Yeah, he started games in the championship. He's had an ACL injury, otherwise probably would have 150, 130 Blackpool um, appearances behind him out of contract at the end of the year. And I think he's actually, he's part of a new trend of of signing this year, where instead of going for the 18, 19, 20-year-old that's going to go back and then play in the championship, we've gone for 22, 23, 24-year-olds who we might actually realistically sign. Um, Former Liverpool under-23 captain. He's what we needed, isn't he? Absolutely. I think we were saying all pre-season, um, you know, let's, let's, not, let's be fair to Lass Sorensen, who's had an outstanding start to the season. I don't think anyone saw that coming in the holding role, certainly. He's been brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. But we haven't got anyone else to play there. Um, and it's not really a holding role, how we play it, in terms of someone just sits there and sprays passes. It's very much a ball-winning midfielder, kind of a really kind of energetic role. And that's exactly what Matty Virtue is. He's an energetic footballer. Um, kind of um, called himself a box-to-box player, so he could potentially play in one of those two free eights ahead of Sorensen as well. Yeah. Um, where Oakley Booth and um, obviously uh, Sanders has played there as well so far this season. But it gives us that depth now in midfield. I feel a lot more comfortable and a lot more confident about our midfield um, after signing Virtue and also after um, Tashan's good performance on Saturday as well. I think we're pretty well stocked in those central areas now. Um, one thing you mentioned on, on the signings, uh, a very different style of loan signing this year as well. Um, we've got a first choice goalkeeper in again. That, that's yeah, been a given for the last two or three seasons. But but apart from that, um, three of the other four loans are out of contract at the end of the season. There's a potential we can sign them. They could be permanently city players at the end of the season. Um, so like you may say, we're not relying on that marquee loan signing to score us our goals um, and to kind of get the headlines and to improve kind of that quality on the pitch, we're getting players in that could do that for us permanently for another two or three years, potentially. I like that. Yeah, I like it. I think <clears throat> I think Garrick's out of contract, but there's a year option. Right. I think Diamond's not out of contract, but there is a train of thought that Sunderland don't see him as a championship player. Mm. But obviously, if he comes and does well with us, it, it probably you know, it probably um, goes on and, and does a part yeah, of that squad. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't have Diamond written down as, <clears throat> as a potential permanent signing. No. Garrick, potentially... Um, Oakley Booth obviously is, is is very much out of yeah out of contract, and it seems like he's kind of end the pathway there as well. And virtue, you kind of have to expect the same possibly. So, yeah, good. Yeah. I think we've got a good window, um, and I think Matty Virtue is a a very good signing on paper. You never know until they play. You never know until they settle in. You, you never know. But he's exactly the the profile of player that we needed yeah, yeah. to sign. So the fact we've got one in is a massive positive. I think that was my thing at the beginning of the window. It was the thing I said as soon as Liam Bridcut wasn't signed playing yeah. was we needed somebody. He's not as experienced, but then experience isn't all about age and he has played 70, 80-odd games for Blackpool. And look, you don't captain Liverpool under-23s if you're not a good footballer. And there's two very distinct type of teams in this division. There's the teams like us that are trying to develop the younger players that are trying to kind of play a little bit of football the right way. And then there are teams like Fleetwood and... and um, certainly Gillingham last season mm-hmm. as Wickham who, you know, they want the experience, they want the names. That's why they were going for Cole Stockton. We would never go for Cole Stockton. 150,000 more, come on, it's 600,000. 
two seasons ago, you could have picked him up for 15,000 probably. He was, you know, yeah, the tram, not, yeah. not the type of player that we're ever going to sign. And the fact is that what we're trying to do in with the likes of Matty Virtue is build for the future. You know, we've brought this player in because there is a likelihood he will be out of contract. We know when Michael Appleton loans a player out, there isn't normally a way back for him and it doesn't matter how yeah. well he does. Um, and, and well, Theo Archibald's kind of prime example for that. Exactly. Zach Elbazetti is another one um, and Max Melbourne, you know, the, there's plenty of them and, and Zach Elbazetti's played European football this year and, yeah. you know, he, he clearly, I think Theo Archibald probably left because Mark Kennedy and he kind of let Mark Kennedy down at Macclesfield. Oh, yeah, of course. Of course, uh, yeah. So but just, we didn't see there was a way back for him at all, though, no. did we, when Appleton was a manager? He no, just, there he was, just felt there was like not. he was written off. Yeah. And so potentially has Matty Virtue been written off as well? You kind of keep your fingers crossed for it. We haven't seen him. And you know, it's always I always feel a hypocrite because I do a transfer deadline and let's assess the window. And you can't you can't assess a transfer window in the days after the transfer window. You can give an opinion, but you we're still wondering whether last year's transfer window was all that good or not. Because mm-hmm. if last Sorensen keeps playing how he is playing now, you're gonna go, last Sorensen was a great That's it. It's all about succession planning, isn't it? Yeah, because like, I made the point earlier about us kind of signing Vernon earlier in the window. <clears throat> You know, they, who's to know that we didn't sign Lars Sorensen as Liam Bickup's replacement? Yeah. You know, we, we don't, I'm not saying that that was definitely the case. No, we didn't. We signed but, him as Conor McGrandall's replacement. That would make a lot more sense because more of a box yeah. to box midfielder. Like a really um, good comparison, um, or at least I feel it's good, would be Brighton in the Premier League, mm. who had a fantastic start to the season. They lost two of their star players, E. Basuma and Mark Kukure. Specifically, Basuma was outstanding for them last season. Um, they haven't skipped a beat. And they haven't gone and bought a light for light replacement for Bissouma because they already had Moises Caicedo there. Yeah. And they, they signed him uh, either six months, possibly maybe even 12 or 18 months prior to selling Bissouma. Yeah. Um, and they signed him as a 19 year old. You kind of learn the ropes. Um, he had a few appearances last season in different roles, but he just slotted into that Bissouma role and they haven't skipped a beat. Um, so that's a bit of insight, obviously, into Premier League Brighton, which you don't normally get. And to, I'll be honest, you've said three names there. Um, I know the long-haired fellow who got it pulled by Spurs, but other than that, yeah, I know Graham Potter's their manager, and I know they play, you know, in Brighton. Um, <laughs> so uh, somebody who doesn't play in Brighton but now plays for a team in blue is Anthony Scully. That's three in a row. Wow, that's it. That's the best of all. <laughs> three <lot>. in a <laughs> row. Um, so that, yeah, my my kind of flow for people that don't know is um i was twice was given three updates by the club yesterday and the first update was um around lunchtime and it was the understanding then was that there was going to be no bids for any of our players there was no late interest expected in any of our players and therefore anthony scully was going to remain the lincoln player uh, and the potential was that that might mean that there would be an exit on loan. Now, I don't know who that would be. You would surmise that it might even have been one of the players that we signed in the summer, um, which I think you know, Lincoln didn't, we didn't really want to do. Um, just after tea time, I had another conversation. And at that point, I was told that there was a club um, involved. I did say all last night, I didn't know who it was, to be fair. I was told that it was Wigan, but obviously not to, to kind of say anything, because obviously if it came out and it fell through, it's it, incredibly unprofessional. Uh, and then again, I got a call when the bid had been accepted, and was told more or less, "Look, he's he's going to go," which is when I when I was able to break the news. Uh, and I think I think the general feeling that I had was one of mo- I was happier to know that Anthony Scully had been sold than we were going to have to loan somebody out who we hadn't planned to loan out because I think the plan was always to sell Anthony Scully at some point, not because we wanted rid of him uh, because he was a good player, but just because. Yeah, that's what we intended to do. It, it was, it's the it's that word again, but it's the modelling action, isn't yeah. it? It's exactly what we're all about. Um, 
He's been here, what, two and a half years, signed him for nothing or very little. He's had, he's, we've, we've all seen his development firsthand and we've sold him on, uh, I imagine, a, a healthy profit. He's gone on to improve his career um, and we already had a replacement in the door. Will we miss him on the pitch? Of course we will. He's a brilliant footballer at this level. Um, but it's not like we're short in that area, as we discussed earlier. We have, we have stocked up on those wide areas. Um, we've got someone in, in Charles Vernon and those other players that we have mentioned, plus others that we haven't mentioned yet. People like Danny Mandrew to come back in. People like Ted Bishop, who we keep saying isn't a winger, but he scored a good few goals playing on the wing. Yeah. <laughs> so we're okay in that position. Um, yeah, I, I was happy for Anthony. I was happy that for the club because what we want to do and what we want to happen in terms of how we operate is it's working. And that's going to attract other players. Let's not forget that. It's not yeah, just yeah. A, it's not just a, a, a one one size fits all and a and a and an individual transfer. This is going to help other players in similar positions. Um other end of contract players at Premier League clubs under 23 teams that aren't going to get in the first team and think, well, where can I go and get first team football and really improve my career and potentially get a move back there in the future? Lincoln City seems like a pretty good place when the likes of Harry Toffolo is now playing in the Premier League. Anthony Scully's now gone into Wigan. Yeah, I agree. Teo Eden, another one as well. Of course, yeah. I think some people have said, well, we're not picking the players up straight out of the Premier League pathway. But actually, Danny Mandrew was at Brighton. OK, but the fact he's gone via Shamrock to come to us just means that he's probably further down the development pathway. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, Max Sanders has come straight from a Premier League um, academy. Lars Sorensen has come from a Premier League academy. OK, he's had some senior football with Stoke and he'd been out on loan at, at NK Dons, but that's certainly the case. And when you look at the like Regan Pauls, the other saleable asset who mm-hmm. I would imagine will attract attention in January, actually he's had to go through the pathway and come, you know, he was essentially not a reject, but he was essentially cast aside by a fellow League One team. And now, as I understand it, you know, last season there could have been he could quite easily have moved to the championship, but the bids weren't quite right. So mm-hmm. we are developing players. Um so I think that's where I am with with Scully. I think I've made it quite clear. Um, that I'm a, you know, always been an Anthony Scully fan. I've never ever shied away from the fact that I'm not sure where his best position is. Um, you know, he's, he, people say he's a winger. I'm not so sure. I'd love him in that mystical mm. ten role. Yeah, he's, he's, not, he's not a traditional winger, is he? No, but he's, he's, he's very much a modern kind of inside forward, that kind of tucking in on that on that left side. Well, the, the classic, the, the, what is now known as the classic Scully finish, isn't it? Cutting yeah. in from the left on his right foot and bending it into the far corner. He's turned that into a bit of a trademark recently. Um, so I think that's certainly the position that I, I feel. I think there was an interview with Michael Atherton at some point last season, maybe in the season before, um, and he, he mentioned that Scully felt his his own best position was on the left. Yeah. And this might have been at a time where he was, he was having to play on the right. I seem to remember. I could be wrong about that. Um, but I think he's definitely versatile. Yeah, you know, he can yeah. certainly play in a 10 role for a team that plays that. He could play in an inside forward, play on a wing. He'll score goals for Wigan as well. I think that it's, it, he won't go in there and sit on the bench. Though. I think he'll be a, I think he's a definitely capable of playing at that level. Yeah, I do as well. Big quick question. Who will we miss more, Anthony Scully or George Grant when he left? That's a great question. Thank you. George Grant. I thought so. I think so. I think the one thing I would say about Scully was slightly inconsistent at times um, and often found himself running down blind alleys. Didn't have he could score wonderful goals but I don't think that he could change a game with a moment of brilliance. I think mm. I think that was a difference. Yeah, I think George Grant had that little bit of he, like you say, he could create something from nothing. You know, he had that range of passing where you can unlock a defense. Uh, they're very different players. It's almost yeah, really yeah, difficult, yeah, to, really difficult yeah, to compare yeah. them. Um, 
who did we miss more last season when neither of them were in the team? Probably George Grant. Yeah, yeah, I'd say so. I'd say so. So that was deadline day. Excuse me. Um, eventful, even if not in the way that people expected. No Danny um, Danny Hilton spotted at the Bentley. No Michael Bridges anywhere um, either. Uh, so looking at the squad overall, and um, I'm, I'm aware we've already done three quarters of an hour. Um, don't know where that's gone. But looking at the squad overall, uh, they say two for two, two for each position. Yeah. Right and Rushworth in goal. Absolutely. Which is fairly solid. Ben or Ioma at right back. Yeah, and Paul, if we absolutely need him to as well, can fill in there. Yeah, and obviously left back Robson and Rowan, mm -hmm. which, okay, we sold Cohen Bramwell, but I think Sean Rowan is one of the stories so far of the season. Absolutely. I don't feel Cohen Bramwell is a huge loss. I, I liked I liked what he had in terms of his pace was a huge threat. Yeah. And I feel rather than we've probably seen what we saw when he was at Colchester, thinking, oh my God, this guy's absolutely rapid. He's got a decent delivery on him. If we can harness those other abilities, you know, between his ears, decision-making, passing ability. We're going to have a hell of a player here. Uh, don't get me wrong, he had a good end of the season for his last season. But um, I remember I was discussing in January, we, we thought he could play, he could potentially be going out because we didn't think he was yeah, up to standard in League One. Yeah, yeah so, um, you know, Sean Rowan absolutely deserves his chance at left-back. And I feel, for me, I like both of them. It's nice to have two similar quality players to just be able to just go, here you go, battle it out. Yeah, yeah, um, definitely. But at the moment, from what I've seen, very much early in the season, sure, Rowan gets a nod for me on that. Yeah, I I think so, and that's no not detrimental to Robson because no, I did a piece saying I thought he'd, he'd start as one of the best left backs in the division. Um, so it is, it's it, it's it's good to have that, and obviously, you know, Jay Ben's performance against Barnsley will have people saying he should replace TJ. I still just think we've got to coach TJ because Absolutely. we know the player that he can be. He just isn't. At the I think that's the thing. We've, we've seen that, haven't we? Yeah, we've, we've seen, seen exactly yeah. what TJ is capable of. Without fans in the stadium, let's be fair. So there must be an element of that. Yeah. Um, but again, we've got two players that are very capable of playing right back. Yeah, I think so. And then we've actually got five centre-halves. So I've got Monsma and Walsh. They'll be, um, that's, that's two for the one position on the um, treatment table. And then we've, <laughs> yeah. But in seriousness, Joe Walsh coming back against Barnsley 45 minutes. I'm not going to make jokes. He's been through injury hell. You know, if he comes back in and you've got O'Connor and Paul, I genuinely believe we've got three centre-backs there that can play in a top 10 league one Absolutely. side. Absolutely. Then you've got Lewis Monster to add into the mix as and when he's fit, who we, we know he's got undoubted quality. And, and that's something that we haven't got as a profile defender. Yeah. And the other two. And also... And we have gone back to a back three at times. Yeah, yeah. And you've got five centre-backs when they're all fit, of course. Um, that allows you that flexibility there to, to be able to do that with still some support on the bench. Yeah. Uh, one little thing in the back of my mind is, obviously injuries dependent as well, but let's imagine that Walsh, Monsman and Jackson all come back fit in November. Yeah. And they're all able to play and they've all had some game time. Do we sell Regan Paul then if there's a bid in? Mm. And we've already got four centre-backs. That's the that's why I'm thinking. Do we maybe is that the reason why we have five currently, or is it just because we've got a few injured? I say that we've got five currently because of the injuries. And had we not had five, we would have shed one over the summer. Um, and my money would probably be on us looking at either selling Paul, given his contract situation, mm -hmm. and if he isn't go, if we are going to be not going to be able to sell him, wouldn't surprise me if we don't look at moving on Adam Jackson. Uh, and I like Adam Jackson. People say he's the only Warwick centre-back we've got that's the warrior and blah, blah, blah. Paudi O'Connor's growing in stature. And I know that, again, he's a new face. And be, just because he hasn't scored 10 goals like Lewis Monsma or seven goals like Lewis Monsma did, mm -hmm. yeah, he hasn't got the headlines. 
I, I genuinely think when Lewis Monson comes back that the club will want him as a first choice. And I think, oh, Reg- I think Regan Paul actually at that point goes back over to right back. And if if in January Regan Paul looks like he's not going to sign a deal and looks like he's going to go for free at the end of the season. You get what you can for him. Yeah, you either get what you can for him or you put him at right back. It don't matter. We ain't going to mm. make the money for him. Let's concentrate on the players that we have got. Yeah. So I, I think across... we're certainly well stocked in the back. Yeah. In the back line. I think that's what the point was making, Massively, isn't it? So yeah. we've got. Yeah, two players plus an extra one for every position yeah. in the back four and then the ability to play a back three if we need to. Um, so then we move on to midfield. We've already talked really about Sorensen and Virtue, which I think are the kind of two like-for-likes. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and just to touch on it, I remember having the conversation with Mike Hopkinson who actually said we'd, we'd moved for Sorensen um, because we were aware that McGrandles probably wasn't going to sign a new deal. It kind of said it yeah, last season, so succession planning. Um, I've then teamed up um, Bishop, Teddy Bishop and Tashan Oakley-Booth. Okay. Because I think, and again, when I say teamed up, I just put them side by side purely because I think I think we see Bishop as a central attacking midfielder. I think if everyone's fit, he he's been really influential out in the wing. Yeah, yeah. So I think the thought process is he can be even more influential if he plays in the middle. Yeah. And obviously he scored two goals by playing. Um, I'll just double check this actually. He was on the right on Saturday, wasn't he? But yeah, he, but he was on the left side of central midfield against Barnsley against... when he scored his, his brace as oh, well. Okay, so, and. Cool. Um, Ted Bishop is a really, really good footballer. I think he's growing and growing and growing in stature. Yeah, I think we're we're now starting to see what the Ipswich fans told us about. Yeah, yeah. they said yeah. he's a brilliant player. Obviously, they they got rid of him you know, because of his injury record, and and, yeah. and obviously they signed about a thousand players last summer yeah. as well. Um, but they all said he's got undoubted quality if he can keep him fit. Yeah, and we're seeing that quality now. And and there's a player who signed in the transfer window last summer that was the transfer window that was deemed as crap. Yeah. Um, and he's got five goals for us. He's our leading scorer now as well. Uh, and like I say with Tashan, I think Tashan is somebody that come Christmas we'll begin to see more. And I know you can you kind of don't want to have to wait for that, but I think that with Tashan, the I, I genuinely think the project is to bring him in on a permanent. I think it's to get him here and get him playing football. All he, mm-hmm. I think he just needs to get up to speed in terms of the physicality of it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and then obviously, you see, there's a floating one for me because obviously you've then got Max Sanders. Yeah. Who, uh, yeah, we all like Max Sanders. Everybody's kind of, you know, in last season it was Max has got to play, Max has got to play when he didn't get a chance. You know, he kind of, he always looked like the little boy who got picked last, even yeah. though he didn't deserve to be. My perception of Sanders has changed slightly since seeing him this season. Um, I was in the same camp, thought he deserved to play. Whenever he played, he seemed to do enough to deserve to keep his place in the team. Um, certainly when other players that were playing more regularly didn't seem to. Um, I had him down as a bit more of a, a ball-playing midfielder, you know, good passing range. Um, in the George Grant mould, I'm not going to compare the two directly yeah. in terms of quality, but in that same sort of style. But what we've seen this season is just a lot more... I'd say his biggest attribute has been his energy and his yes. work rate. He's yeah. been more of a box-to-box style midfielder, more than I thought he had the capability of doing so. Got Kerr. He's been like a Scott Kerr box to box, but better on the ball. But better, well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm also a Scott Kerr, but I like Scott Kerr. But he's he, he did pass it sideways. Yeah, yeah. Max Sanders has got a good range of passing. So I've got it written down differently. I've got Sorensen and Virtue as the more the deeper. Yeah. Um, I have Sanders and Oakley Booth as the more box to box two. Okay. Um, and then I've got Bishop on the left, and then I've got. Mandrew and House all been able to play in that role as well, if need be. Okay. Um, so it's interesting you mentioned House because actually I think he is he's the unknown element mm. in the squad. I, I think that the club are going to look for a free agent. 
I think that the club are going to look at the free agent market in order to fill a hole. And I think that which hole they fill depends on who wins the tug of war over Ben House. Because I get the impression that Ben House has been earmarked when he's come in as a centre forward. Yeah. Um, by probably by Jez, Liam, I don't think they are Mark's players. I think Mark Kennedy likes him as an attacking midfielder. He's been really versatile. He's played, he came on the wing, yep. he came on up front, he came on the other wing, and he, he played brilliantly against Oxford playing in this, a central midfield role. Yeah, that's the role it's, I like him in. Yeah, I think I think that's what we've seen him most in, though. Yeah. Uh, it, it was surprising to see him there because when he had his a handful of matches last season, he played mostly in that midfield role, um, certainly towards the end of the season, didn't he? And I think when we first saw him there, I thought, that's strange. I remember it, was, it might have been the last game of the season or certainly before that. We look, we look, yeah, we looked at the team sheet and thought, I can't even work out what the hell system we're playing yeah. here. Where's Ben House playing? Um, are we going two up top? And it was back to our regular 4-3-3 and he was just playing in centre midfield. Yeah, yeah. So we've seen him in centre midfield more and I think a lot of us have liked what we've seen. Very hard working again, good on the ball. Um, certainly good kind of dribbling with the ball as well. Kind of a close control is good. So I just wonder, have we been doing that because of availability of other players and he's he's capable of playing there he's got good qualities there so we play him there but do we see him as a striker or you know football's a fluid game do we you know what he's got a lot of qualities to move further back on the pitch yeah. do we say you know what actually you're the other central midfield player now we, we need a striker now we do need a yeah. striker yeah. <laughs> and, and so we're, we're I mean we're 50 odd minutes in give or take and we've finally come to the conclusion that we do need a striker because <laughs> when we go to the forwards and you pair up We've obviously got, I mean, Vernon and Diamond um, on, on one flank, Carrick, and, and it surprised me a little bit the club seem Andrew as a winger. Um, that, well, that... If it's that kind of inside, drifting inside, more central winger that Bishop's been playing when yeah, he's yeah. played there, Scully slightly had played as well, then that makes a bit more sense. He's not a traditional winger. When he played for Shamrock, they didn't play wingers, did they? They played kind of two tens, and he yeah, played yeah. in one of those two tens. But you could almost say if you've got two tens, the position they're playing actually on the pitch when they have the ball at their feet is probably very similar to that left wing yeah, position yeah. Yeah. Um, in a three when they took inside. So I can't, I can't see him playing on the right though. No, I, do you know what? I just think because I, I, I kind of thought that a few times this season about different players like Scully comes on and plays on the right, really, and then Bishop. But Vernon even came on at right wing back, didn't he? Yeah. And, and I kind of, I, I like because obviously you're a left winger, but if you're a right winger, you're kind of an inverted. And I think we've got good options now on the flank. I think with Vernon, we've got trickery, we've got pace. With Diamond, we've definitely got pace and trickery. Yeah. We know that. With Garrick, we've got a little bit more raw power. Mm-hmm. Um, and who did Garrick get in the the, the, the kind of the battle with? Um, oh, yeah. Against. Um, was it Forest Green? It was, yes. Was it the. Uh, the their score of Wickham was it Conor it was Wickham, Wickham who tracked back and he held him off yeah and he held um, him off and, and that's and why you and I had a conversation last night actually mm. I think and that's why I said Garrick could play nine because I think he's got the strength yeah to play the so nine. this this was we were discussing this before we obviously um came on today and meant Garrick's an interesting one because he uh, at Plymouth and at Swansea he's played at wing back so he, he can do that but I don't think he, we really want him to play there no, no. he's played right wing and he's been really effective at right wing for us for Plymouth, he played up front a bit, yeah, yeah, but in a two. And I can definitely see him playing up front in a two running channels. And he's got that that physicality to be able to run the channels and hold it up. He seems to have all the physical capabilities of playing up there on his own. But I don't, to my knowledge, I don't feel he's ever done it. Doesn't mean he can't. No, no. But it's it, it's an interesting discussion. It might be one that one of those that develops a little bit over the season, depending on whether we stick to the system, whether Hopper stays fit, etc. But yeah, he's, he's he's an interesting one. But for me, he's he's battling out with Diamond on the right. Yeah. 
Uh, then you've got Vernon starting on the left, potentially Mandrew, as and when fit. It's all in my head. Yeah, It's it, all in our head. Yeah, yeah. We don't know, do we? We have no, no idea. But it's four wide players, yeah. each with slightly different qualities. You could probably argue that Vernon and Diamond are fairly similar. Mm. But I think that Garrick and Mandrew, or what we understand of Mandrew, we haven't seen him, what we understand of him, there's slightly different mm. options there. It's a little bit kind of horses for courses, isn't it? It is. It so is. You, you might pick one ahead of another, not because of form, but because of the opposition and, exactly. and the system or style yeah. or weakness of that team. And, uh, and it gives you that flexibility, which we haven't really had. And we also talk about going to a 3-5-2. So if you go to a 3-5-2 or, or whatever you want to call it late in a game and you've had Garrick playing on the wing, as you've just said, you could definitely then tuck Garrick inside to yeah. play alongside Tom Hopper. Uh, and then bring another winger on, and suddenly the fullback's got another problem. He's got to look the one over his shoulder, or so. Mm. Yeah, there are options. There's no doubt at all that we're short of a striker because all of that brings us to Hopper. Okay, you can say Hopper and Draper. Um, well, but, Draper, I don't know if he's injured. We haven't heard anything of no, Draper. The club no. seems to have made quite a big deal of putting certain players in the limelight in the media. People like Sean Lennon. Yeah, people like Max Sanders in pre-season. They were in. They were kind of cast in front of the media to almost kind of go. Don't forget about us a little yeah. bit. Um, and they've obviously been kind of quite prominent players in the team. Freddie Draper broke into the team last year and we had an injury crisis and, and impressed um, in the little snippets that we saw. But we haven't heard anything about him. No. He's still a professional. He's part of the first team squad. He's got a pro deal. He's not gone out on loan. So he's clearly in and around it. But we don't know what's going on there. And yeah. I don't feel I would be hugely comfortable relying on him to do Tom Hopper's role. No. Should we need him to? Because we could, he couldn't. It was unfair to rely on him last winter. Absolutely. He can do the role that Charlie Kendall would have done if he stayed. Yeah. He can get on the bench. He can come on for 15, 20 minutes at the end to go and give a different dimension and, and, and hopefully be a threat in that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It'd be harsh to start him and put that pressure on him. But when he does come back, there is an option to play him. But I say, you know, again, the conclusion that I certainly drew from yesterday was we still really needed a Tom Hopper alternative. Mm. And I think the misconception that people had was that we were going to sign a Tom Hopper replacement. And as soon as Tom was given the captain's armband, that was the statement of intent. Absolutely. Well, he's going to be the first name on the team sheet if fit. And that's going to make it more difficult to recruit a Tom Hopper style strike. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because let's be honest, there's not many players in Premier League under 23 or Championship under 23 teams that have that, that play in that that style as a striker, it's a, it's a bit of a dying art, really, isn't it? Yeah, that, that, is, that, yeah. that kind of more standard target man style. Um, and it's a sort of role that players tend to take up and become more skilled at as their career progresses as well. So who's going to loan us a player in that role? I don't think they exist. Not, no. They don't exist. Like there's a, a young player that you get into play as a striker that's going to be a bit part player to come off the bench or to be a replacement for him if he's injured. It's very unlikely to find someone that'll do a like for like job. So then you're looking at someone that's out of favour, another club that you've got to go and buy on a permanent deal. And how do you and Tom Hopper's the captain? How do, how do you, you sell, sell that, that to yeah. them? So I can see why that's a challenge. Maybe that why it wasn't a priority in the window. But if it's a free agent out there that needs a club, maybe mm. that role is a bit more attractive when you haven't got a club than if it is if you're happy to sit on the bench or happy to sit in the 23 till January. There is one that jumps out, and, and we'll have to move on shortly in a second, but the one that jumped out for me when I looked early was Mark McNulty. Um, that is an interesting 27, one. Yeah. 27, 28 years old, free agent, probably in terms of attitude, seems more more probably aligned with a Chris Maguire than a Tom yeah. Hopper. Um, I mean, there's a few others. There's Max Biamu, who was at um, Coventry. Yeah, that would be that, that's the only one of the list that I saw um, that I thought would be a a potential for us that yeah McNulty yeah 
too many question marks over him. Yeah. His, his recent form of his last three or four clubs has been pretty poor as well. Yeah, uh, he had one or two good seasons. Was it Coventry? Was he was quite yeah, prolific yeah. a few years ago? Moved to Reading for a million and then was mm. shit. Yeah, but yeah, BMU. He, he is very much that on Hopper Scar. He doesn't score many goals, but he brings others into the, yeah, into yeah. the into the team. So that that's that's a potential. Did he play for Sutton? Is he, he did. I think he was injured. Was he at Dundee United last year? I don't know if he's injured now. Uh, I thought he was at Coventry. Um, he might go on loan or something. Yeah, I, I tell you what, because uh, we've both got paper and, and neither of us wrote this down. Neither of us have written this <laughs> down. Um, so I'm pretty sure he went to Scotland, and I'm not convinced that he isn't injured. So Dundee he did go United, to Dundee United, but only played three games. He had signed a short-term deal. Um, and that was that. So he's not played a lot of football. He is going to be the sort of player who you bring in who wants to try and earn himself a deal elsewhere, and you're just going to bring him on as cover. Whether we're going to then risk the money on that, I don't know. I so would be no very... transfer fee involved, is there? No. The, it's, it's wages, and I'd be very, very surprised if we signed Biamu or McNulty. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, I think the more we've discussed it, even now, I've become more and more appreciative of the fact that we need a striker yeah uh, but when, I, when i arrived yesterday i was actually gonna think you know actually i genuinely think we're all right i agree with the club i think we're okay but the more we discuss it maybe we're not um i, I tell you what shall we take a breather for a minute what we'll do we'll get um we'll, we'll think about cambridge united that's a good I, idea I, we've caused chris some problems now um <laughs> so cambridge tomorrow or today probably if you're listening to this given where we're recording and um, so we sent jake todge out to chat to jules from under the abbey um and he started by asking jules all about their manager uh mark bonner it's it's honestly it's one of those things that it's like a fairy tale almost you just can't <laughs> You can't, um, I mean, you'll know as well as me that, you know, if there was a, a Lincoln City born born and raised season ticket holder as a, you know, 10, 11, 12 year old, the sort of guy who uh, I think he shared when it was like, it's like something like National Book Day and he, he shared, they had to do like a thing at school when they were 11 and he, they all shared their dreams. They had to like write down what their dream job was and his was being the Cambridge United manager at 11 years old. And he had like the photo of, you know, him him holding it up as a, as a kid and stuff. So it's like, there is that connection, which is just so hard to, um, it's so rare and, and so hard to, to, to sort of, to describe he's, and it's not just that he's, he's not just someone who, you know, knows the history of the club, knows what it means to play for the club, sorry, not to play for the club, to manage the club, um, knows what it means to supporters is always, always has a word for supporters. If we've traveled a long distance or if we've, you know, we've taken a big defeat or anything like that, it's always the first thing on his mind. It's also the fact that he's a really, really good football manager. Mm. I mean, he. A lot of your listeners might not know that he he left school when he was sixteen, and he joined the. He volunteered at Cambridge United as a as a volunteer coach. He's filled every single position between there and the first team head coach, uh, with a short spell in Southend in the middle in their academy. Um, his bread and butter is bringing youth players and developing them uh, as footballers into into first team players that's that's where he's spent the majority of his coaching career in the academy and as head of the academy um but in the first team what he's done is just got an ability to take a group of players that on paper weren't good enough to get promoted from league one were nowhere near good enough to stay up in league it's sorry get promoted from league two and we're nowhere near good enough to stay in league one let alone finish mid-table let alone you know get to the fourth round of the cup beating Mm. premier league opposition away he just sort of Anything you expect from this side is um, is just it's just it's just nothing to them. They they're a really resilient, really tight knit squad, and that's all because of Bonner. Um, and now what we've started to do is add a little bit of actual genuine quality into that as well, which is uh, 
which is what might, might make us a little bit of a hard team to face this season. Yeah, it's um, it's in, Lincoln are interesting, interesting club because obviously there's that playoff season where you're one nil up in the playoff final, was it? Yeah. Two summers yeah. ago. Yeah. It feels like a long time ago in a way because I I listened to you know a couple of football league podcasts and stuff and the sort of general feeling around predicting Lincoln's finishes is you know. <laughs> Would I say that we're expected to finish higher than that Cambridge United is expected to finish higher than Lincoln? Maybe not categorically, but I think we're much closer in the league than if you'd said two years ago mm, we would yeah. be. Um, especially last season, it, it seemed like, from the outside looking in, it seemed like a real disappointment. I know you had a load of injuries, didn't you? It was mm. really what marred your season. Um, I suppose the main thing that I'm interested in, and I haven't, I haven't kept up to, I see you're like 18th or something, 18th, 19th. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's August. That's sort of it's sort of irrelevant. But um, you've got a new manager as well, which is always going to take a little bit of time to bed in. But I suppose what I am interested in is like Appleton had a whole season with uh, last year with I suppose this squad or nearly this squad. Uh, how and and he managed to finish about that right nineteenth. Yeah, sixteenth. Um, I think we. Came oh, sorry, I've done I've done you a disservice. Anyway, bottom off. <laughs> <laughs> And it's like it's a suddenly you're trusting a rookie manager to improve on that by quite a distance in what yes. is such a competitive league. Mm. I think Lincoln will be fine. They've got too much quality in terms of relegation. Uh, and I think we'll end up very near each other again, about a place or two away. Um, in terms of signings, we were talking earlier about that Jack Diamond, who mm. I've heard a lot spoken about. So I feel like that will really add to your, um, to your ranks. Uh, but how do you go about replacing someone like Anthony Scully? I mean... As I mentioned earlier, he was, that performance at the Abbey and that 5-1 was one of the best opposition performances I've ever seen. Um, he was absolutely unreal. So I know he probably doesn't play like that every single week, but he must be a tough player to replace. So, yeah, I don't know. I've, uh, I hope I haven't pulled any cold water over, over your your sort of uh, motive, your uh, enthusiasm. No, not at all, mate. Not at all. And if I've had to push you for a score prediction for... Saturday afternoon, are we, are we thinking more in the 5 1 mold? I'm hoping you're going to say, <laughs> I'll go in. Uh, maybe I'll go now. Nah, do you know what? I said it on our pod just before we recorded our little uh, when you kindly joined our pod too. I said one all, and mm. it feels like I feel like both teams might take a point here. And I feel like it's gonna be a really tough game. I, I don't really know what to make of Lincoln. Um, so yeah, just sort of anything that isn't a 5 1 shellacking, uh, I'll be pretty happy with to be honest. Uh, so that was Jake. If you want to, uh, Jake and Jules from Under the Abbey. So if you want to listen to that, that's on our YouTube channel. You can listen to the full interview there. Um, so obviously, we're looking at time, we'll touch on Cambridge briefly. Uh, we'll go to your thoughts, Chris, first of all. It'd be nice to win, wouldn't it? <laughs> now, there we go. Some, some Ben style insight. I, I mean, I, honestly, those who listened last week, and I shit you not, I can't believe I don't normally listen, but I had to listen to this. His, his description of the, uh, and I love you, Ben, uh, the Lincoln women versus Doncaster women, that Doncaster won 4 3 was the result slightly favoured Doncaster. <laughs> now, you can't buy punditry like that. So, yes, I'm I think they've had a very similar start to the scene as us. This is, this is Cambridge, not Doncaster women. Correct. Yeah, yeah. yeah I wouldn't know too much about that. I need to brush up on my women's football. Um, but yeah, in terms of Cambridge, they've, they've played, I would say, a similar type of club to us. They've played Oxford. They've played Exeter. They've played Burton. Um, 
three clubs who you would ex well maybe Oxford not so much but they always start slowly um but clubs that you maybe expect to be in our mini league you yeah. know that we you know that we expect to be kind of playing against and Cambridge obviously themselves are that same type of club so they probably see us in a very similar way as we see them from a Lincoln City perspective I think we see this as a winnable game albeit it being an away match um I think we've shown good you know good traits away from home we've been hard to beat and we've been able to nick a goal here or there but so have they you know looking at their their early scores apart from the 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 the, the four three they had against Burton um, last week. Every single one of their victories has been by goal. Yep. Um, all their defeats has been by goal bar um, a battering at Portsmouth. So it looks like against teams that are in and around them, they're pretty solid. Yeah. So what do I think will happen? I'd love to see us get a 2-1 win. I can see another draw, to be honest with you. I can see the draw. I mean, we remember Mitop last season. He was absolutely mm -hmm. stunning. It was Liam Cullen's debut, if I remember, and Cullen could have scored early. And I came away, we'd lost that game 1-0. Ironside, hit and run, you know, as, as so many teams did to us. And I remember me and Dad walking away going, happy with that, we look a completely different side, you know. False dawn, of course. Of course, yeah. Um, but they were hard to beat. We thumped them at their place last season. They learned really, really quickly. I, I quite like Cambridge. If I'm honest, I like the fact that Mark Bonner has brought them to where they are. That they, they've, um, they've, they've adapted really quickly. They're my favourites to go down last season. It's intangible, isn't it? As well, what yeah. Mark Bonner brings. Obviously, he's quite clearly a good football manager because he's not going to have the success yeah. he's had without being. But of course, he's been at Cambridge for years. He's a Cambridge supporter. He's been involved yeah. in a club for his pretty much his whole career. That's got to add something. There's got to be there's something there. They're going to have a, a certain feeling around that football club, certainly at home games, I imagine, where that gives them an advantage. It's something you can't put a finger on as much as we love stats. There's no stats yeah. about those sort of things, but there's, there's definitely got to be something in that. Um, Do you want to go on? Well, there are other advantage as well. Go on. They bought the Abbey today back from the council for the first time in 20 years. That's going to be a huge boost <laughs> for them. <laughs> so they've, they've just bought their ground back. There's going to be a, a really good atmosphere amongst the home fans, I think. Um, and they've got some quality. Look, we talked about Ironside. He's the traditional number nine that you can't buy at this level. We've talked about the goalkeeper. I really like Shiloh Tracy. He was on loan at Shrewsbury when we stuffed Shrewsbury in the um, Mickey Mouse Trophy a couple of years ago. And he was quick. He was direct. And they mm -hmm. took him off, I think, at half time. So, Steve Cottrell, what are you doing? You're taking sucking creativity out yeah. of the game. Um, and then Sam Smith, who obviously got a hat-trick, I think, against Burton, um, uh, was at Reading as a youngster, really talented attacking midfielder. They've got some quality. I I can see it being another draw. Um, I really can. But one thing I would say is I think they play a formation that favours us. Yeah, and they try and play a bit of football yeah, yeah. as well. Um, I feel we'll probably similar to how we were under the Cowleys a little bit. We were really good against teams that wanted to play football. Yeah, yeah. Um, it allowed us to try and press. We're, clearly, under Mark Kennedy, we're, we're, we're a pressing team. We want to press hard at the pitch. We want to win the ball back and forth mistakes. Um, and against teams that, that try and play a bit more football, we have the opportunity to do that. Um, and let's not forget, we're hard to beat as well. We, yeah. we, we, we show good qualities off the ball in terms of being determined and in, in, in that work rate. I think they're two very similar teams, um, which is why I can't escape a draw as a prediction, unfortunately, another one. But it's also a game that we have we have the quality in the squad and the ability to win. Yeah. Um it's not I don't think we're gonna go there and if we win to feel like someone we could we, we can nick. I think we've definitely got the quality to win the game. But from all the statistics that you've seen so far, it's got a draw written all over it. I'm gonna go out on a limb. I think I think we're gonna win. I think he's got a draw written all over it. 
But um, I think it's it's we're getting to a point where a result is going to be a tipping point. And I thought it was when we beat Oxford. We're getting to a point where you win. If we keep drawing games but win the odd one, you're always going to be in points credit all yep. the time. And that's a good thing to be because I, I said it, I think, on the pod the other day. You only need to be six or seven points in credit on your games played and you'll stay up. You know, 46 games played. If you're on 54 points, you stay up. That's that's eight points in credit. So if you if we people say, oh, it's no good if we keep drawing games, it is as long as every so often when you draw, you, you get drop a, win a winning. Well. And and it you know it we've got some tough games coming up. We've got tougher games coming up than this. Actually, this month is is one where you look. There's quite a few home games where you think we could win that. I think Accrington we've got coming up. We've got. Um, okay, Derby, you would ignore that. What's also positive about that, though, is that we have a lot of games. Yeah. So if we do get a disappointing result, you've got another game pretty quickly to put it right. Yeah. I think that's a real positive. Um, one other quick thing on, on, on Cambridge they generally favour a 4 2 3 1, and we generally favour a 4 3 3. Yeah. Which means those midfield three are, play, are generally playing man for man. So it could potentially, those three positions could probably be the make or break of that, the swing of that game. So I uh, could see. Yeah, they got in there. They've got May, Digby, and Nibs. None of those players are players that really stand out and having huge quality on the ball. Cambridge quite clearly are greater than some of their parts in terms of their, their their ability on the ball. But in terms of quality, I think we probably just edge that midfield three. So maybe that's where we get our win from. Consistency as well, though, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's that consistency in that midfield. Wouldn't surprise me if Matty Virtue um doesn't start the game. Only at the club yesterday, one day's training. It wouldn't surprise me if we don't start with Sorensen, Bishop and Tashan. I don't think Max is going to be back. Um, and then I would bring Matty Virtue on in readiness. I mean, we've finally got a Tuesday off this week as well, which mm. will be really well received. So, right, well, we, we are we're going to be touching well past the hour mark by the looks of things now. Um, so this is the point where we say, are there any other business, anything that you would like to add at all? Nothing from me, just thank you very much for having me on. No worries, it's been a pleasure. I don't think I have anything to promote. Oh, I do have something to promote, don't I? The whole 10K run for mental health thing, I'd forgotten about that. Um, so for those who don't know, I'll, I'll pin it on my Twitter profile and I might even pin it as the top post on the uh, blog. I've decided I'm obviously going to run the 10K anyway. Um, it is kind of as part of my fitness, but I've decided to run it in aid of the foundation, uh, the Link City Foundation, uh, mental health Um projects and they do things like uh team talk they do andy's club which is a man's club where people can go and talk on a monday and and kind of share experiences people who are struggling um they do really good work and obviously we we lost an imp over the summer which was incredibly tragic i you know personally talked to to a couple of different people who struggle at various points who you know obviously wouldn't go into any more i've come um into contact with with people ex-forces who suffer ptsd many many years after they've been in service and, and that's something the foundation are looking at helping with as well so um want to help people directly in our community uh sometimes you can run for these charities and, and they're, they're you know wonderful charities and you don't see the effects of your um your efforts and I, I, I don't mean that sound kind of like singular or about me but you know, i want to see what the, some i want to feel that i'm doing something that directly affects people who i know um and who you know uh, and i'm also saying anybody else who would like to sign up and run and raise money with us please do rob bradley's already signed up for the 10k he's now also uh raising money um at the same time for the for the same cause martin hickerton 
uh, the CEO of the foundation, he signed up. Uh, he's running the half marathon, which um, I did a half marathon the other day in the car, and it cost me 15 quid at today's petrol prices. Um, so that might be what I sponsor, Martin. Um, I know there's a cost of living crisis on, and I'm not going to be somebody that is trying to guilt anybody into um, sponsoring or, or doing anything. But what I would urge you to do, if you could spare a little bit, please do sponsor. Uh, and if, if you want to run the 10K, get in touch, sign up and, and you know, we'll we'll try and do it as a little bit of a team. Uh, I'd like to raise a thousand pounds if possible. Uh, last check, I think, was already on about 300, which is absolutely phenomenal. So thank you to everybody who has already helped me out. Um, I think that's it. I don't have anything to sell, which is a shame. Um, I quite like to sell a book or something, but I don't have that. So, uh, so there we go. Um, deadline day done. Uh, you've listened to us for an hour and 10 minutes and you found out what you already know. We still need a striker, uh, but it's not all doom and gloom. It hasn't been a terrible window. Uh, we've got some decent players. We've got some quality on the ball and hopefully we can, we can just move forward and come through autumn uh, with a few points. So thank you, Chris, for coming. Thank you very much for having me. And all I'll say is, uh, Up the imps. Up the imps. It's the 90th minute and all your mates around watching the imps on iFollow. You've got your McNugget share boxes on the go. Your mate's already got booked for double dipping, but then you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.